Hello everyone, welcome to the Kane Rinse Podcast, Volume 9, Issue 404, Assassin's Creed Origins. So you're joining us on Kane Rinse again as we venture into the world of Assassin's Creed. This time, joining me, Carl Moon, in Issue 404 are Jay Taylor. Hello. Richard Davison. Hello. And from the other side of the pond, pre-Super Bowl, Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Okay, so... Be warned, everyone, there will be spoilers ahead. Um, probably a little bit unlike other Assassin's Creed games, this one is incredibly spoiler-filled, uh, because, shocker, it does actually go into story for a change. However, before that, let's get on with the uh, four information about the game. Developed, as per usual, by Ubisoft Montreal, actually by the primary key team behind Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, which we've previously covered. Published obviously, by Ubisoft. Executive producers for this one, Ashraf Ishmael and Jean Gesden. Producer, Martin Schelling. Uh, Director of Art, and I feel we probably all have a little something to say on this, Raphael Lacoste. The Director of Design, Eric Baptizat. Programmer, Frederick Shampoo. Writers, Alan Merkiecker. Composers, Sarah Schachner. And... We're now in Anvil Next 2.0 as the game engine, and this will be a huge subject for the topic of this podcast, uh, a big change for the game. It was released across three formats, uh, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. It actually was a debut game for Xbox One X as well, um, and that was October 27th, 2017. Now... Review-wise, it's actually very positive. Uh, on Open Critic, we have an 87% rating. On IMDb, again, 8.7, matching up. Push Square, 8.4. And Metacritic, considerably lower at 7.2, but still positive. Sales-wise, however, we've got over 4 million copies sold, 2 million of which were in the EU, um, 1.22 million in North America. Uh, only 110,000 in Japan and 630,000 in other regions. So, in November 2017, Ubisoft announced sales of Assassin's Creed Origins during its first 10 days were double that of Assassin's Creed Syndicate. While player engagement also saw an increase, 35% of sales were digital download compared to just 12% for Syndicate. First of all, our histories with Assassin's Creed Origins. First up, Jay. My history with the game, right. So I didn't pick this up until Christmas uh, 2018. I didn't actually start playing it until May of 2019. And that is because I... Um, so I was in the same boat as the podcast in the sense that I had fallen quite far behind with, with Assassin's Creed games. I was missing Unity, Syndicate, uh, Origins, and Odyssey was already out at this point as well. And I didn't know what to do, but I really wanted to play Origins, so I decided initially to skip the others, and I picked up Origins with the intention on playing it. And then Rich here lent me a copies of Syndi uh, Unity and Syndicate, to which last year meant that I went on a real binge through Assassin's Creed, basically catching up with my, all my Assassin's Creed. So I started the year by playing uh, Unity, went into Syndicates, and then by May, found myself playing Origins. Went through this game, like didn't stop playing it until I'd 100%ed everything. 
suffice to say, got his hooks in. Okay. Brian? Yeah, much like uh, Jay, I got the game at Christmas time of 2017. Um, I didn't start playing it until January 2018, just after the holidays. And I had been kind of on a roller coaster ride with Assassin's Creed. What I talked about a little bit on the Black Flag podcast is that I, I was not a huge fan of 3. I really like Black Flag. I didn't really like Unity. I got Unity on launch day, however, so that was mostly plagued by technical issues. Um, and then I then I was a big fan of Syndicate. I played Syndicate on um, on on both uh, PlayStation Four and Xbox One again because I really did like that game. So I was pretty assass- like pretty well invested in the assass- whole Assassin's Creed saga. So I was a little bit nervous when the preview coverage started coming out of um, Origins. Uh, you know, seeing how what a different turn kind of the the gameplay was taking in this game. So, uh, but like much other things, like I was so invested in the Assassin's Creed, uh, you know, multiverse, I guess you could call it at this point, um, that I was probably going to pick it up no matter what. Um, and much like Jay, I, I picked it up, uh, in January and I didn't play much else till, till March of that year. I, I just, I was absolutely addicted to this one through and through. Um, I've been back a couple times to dip into some DLC stuff, but aside from that first playthrough, um, just really kind of, you know, hundred percent of it and then moved on to the next thing. But yeah, so. Okay, sounds like that was quite a similar experience. How about yourself, Rich? Yeah, not a day one purchase for me, uh, but I did pick it up on the PS4, I want to say in August of 2018, and that's not a, a, an indictment of like how I feel about the game, but one thing I've learned about uh, Ubisoft open world games is is that you leave it six months to <laughs> just stay it while all the patches come through. How dare you? Everything feels a lot better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's a, a healthy way to do it. I mean, commercially for Ubisoft, who knows what that means, but just as a player and as a consumer, that that's kind of my approach towards it. Very similarly to both Brian and Jay, I probably spent the best course of a month just doing a real deep dive, a, a big old comprehensive one playthrough and then set it down in preparation for AC Odyssey coming out, which is another game that I spent a lot of time involved in. Um, For me, I've been heavily invested in the Assassin's Creed games all the way through, and I'm uncomfortable about revealing my fanship for everything because that tends (laughs) to invite a lot of people coming to terms of what it is to be a fan, but I'm I'm a big fan of the series on the whole. Um, I haven't touched the DLC, and lamentably, I haven't been able to go back and do some of the Discovery Tour, which is something that I did spend a lot of time doing in AC Odyssey. Okay, so for myself, um, I did pick it up near enough launch, but didn't play it for a very long time. In fact, I didn't start it until roughly May or June of last year. Um, so probably start. I think I started it later than everyone else on the podcast. I am also a big Assassin's Creed player, and part of the delay for me to get to Origins was that I'm so stubborn that I would not go to Origins having not played the other ones. And my history with Assassin's Creed on this podcast is now very well documented in that I feel I have to complete every achievement across the games, including some of the more difficult multiplayer ones that we've had over the uh, iterations. So... That meant that I had to finish off all the achievements in Black Flag, and then I had to play Unity, a game which I actually loved. Um, Then I had to get to Syndicate, a game which I really did not like, so a little bit the opposite of Brian. Um, And then I was looking for something that I could potentially play, switch off, um, you know, do two things at once, wind down with, and Assassin's Creed Origins seemed like a pretty good choice based on past assassin's creed games and i played that throughout the summer for a good three months 
um, and put a lot of hours into it. And despite everyone sort of getting on saying, just get on with Odyssey, get on with Odyssey, the, the key reason that Origins was the game that I had to get to was obviously the Egyptian setting. And that meant that I had to get through Unity and Syndicate as quickly as I possibly could because there's just something a little bit magical, isn't there, about Egypt? And I think for a game setting and what Assassin's Creed was trying, that was kind of the thing that kind of really drew me to this title and, and why Odyssey had to wait, or in my case, has to wait a little bit longer. As I already touched upon there, Egypt is the key setting. How did everyone here feel about having Egypt as a setting for a game? Was it something that you kind of really wanted, or was it something that, you didn't think would work in an Assassin's Creed game, you know. How, how what was the overall consensus here on that? I I saw the preview coverage, um, and when when Egypt was announced, and I I got pretty excited about it. Um, my initial thoughts about Assassin's Creed Three, um, when it first uh, was announced, I'm like, well, what buildings will there be to climb in Revolutionary America? You know, I kind of saw, and then I saw a little bit more about how they kind of moved around with the exploration and movement. I'm like, oh, that's pretty neat, and then. Instantly, when I saw ancient Egypt, I'm like, I'm sliding down the pyramids of Giza. No one's going to stop me from doing that. It's like, like it was like my goal from starting the game. Like that's just like it's just you're drawn to Egypt by these big, striking landmarks, and just the idea of being in, able to interact with them, like on any level, got me pretty excited. Because much like you as a kid, with you know things in school and things on TV, uh, just you know mummies, going to see mummy exhibits at you know local museums and things like that. Um, really, really interested in exploring the setting in a, a, a video game world. Yeah, I think um, I think the initial sort of my initial thoughts on this was it, it was unusual that they were going so far back in time. It wasn't in yeah. any way a negative thing. I was just kind of curious as to why they because the only time they've ever really gone backwards was with Black Flag, and it was more of a, like a, a slight, you know, like fifty year backwards thing compared to the last game before that. And this time they're going like way back. You know, like towards like yeah. two thousand like years, real back back. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. it was like, and obviously the title kind of alludes to what the game's about, so it made sense. But I was still kind of, I was just interested. For me, I think what I was looking for. So the the thing that draws me to Assassin's Creed is the fact that they're always tied in with some kind of um, like mm. social revolution. So you've got the industrial yeah. revolution in Syndicate, you've got the French Revolution in Unity, you've got uh, the American war uh, revolution in uh, ac3 and so on and so forth and maybe it's just my lack of understanding of ancient egypt but i, I wasn't quite aware of what it was that it could tie into there what was the hook in that historical period that they were going to be able to draw upon and along with that which historical characters are they going to be able to pull in to kind of add a bit of flavor and context to the world as well so my initial instinct to uh origins was was actually quite tepid i was like thinking yeah i can definitely wait for this i'm I'm quite cold mm. on the egyptian atmosphere and something I'm, I'll, I'll definitely come to but not something i was desperate to come out of the gates with yeah i think when i saw it, it was e3 and the, the showcase it, and i remember thinking well i'm sure that this isn't what it's actually going to look like visually um because you know we know better than to expect a game to be exactly representative of what showcased and I remember thinking it was a little bit different. The approach didn't seem to be so much chapters and sequences. It didn't seem to be small areas of uh, missionary structure where you're, you know, you're leaving the area and, and and such. And I wasn't sure how that would play. I wanted to see if 
what was showcased at E3 could be maintained throughout the entire game. And that, that was kind of the thing that really drew me in, obviously, as, as well as the Egyptian theme. I thought if they can really get on with like the kind of mysteries of ancient Egypt and, you know, uh, embalming, mummification and, um, you know, the, the figures like Cleopatra was obviously the obvious one um, that I was aware of in there. Um, and it, it just became fascinating when I came into it. It was just the game started on such a strong point and it felt like you were kind of waiting for it to fall off. Um, and with this new structure, I was kind of sort of pulled in from sort of the first minute. And, uh, you know, it, like like Jay's already mentioned, it got its hooks into me to the point that it became one of those games that I couldn't wait to get home from work to kind of play and get a bit further into it. So the scenario... Rich has already mentioned there, we have a history of Assassin's Creed games being based around some kind of uh, revolution. And one thing that maybe they're not afraid to deal with is the loss of someone close, the loss of someone dear, family member or some such like. Assassin's Creed Origins is no different. Uh, you play the primary role as Bayek uh, of Siwa um, and he and his wife, I lose a son. Um, and that's kind of the center point for the arc of that story to take place in this world. Um, it may be a little bit predictable, but it's something that, you know, uh, is, a, is a strong starting point for the game. And, and it's, you know, a, a decent footing for the story. I think you have to sort of capture the essence of uh, loss and the drama and such. And it's kind of an area that Assassin's Creed has maybe always fallen a little bit flat on. Um, how did you all feel about, you know, the, the actual scenario setting off the story in this game? Was it something that in, intrigued you or was it a bit like, oh, again? <laughs> um, I, I probably was the biggest um, mark for this story, as it were, um, because uh, I had a six-month-old son at the time that this game came out. So when I started playing it, he was literally like rolling around the floor next to me. And it was one of those things where, in the past, like if I had just come to this fresh face without having the recent experience of having a child, I might have been like, oh, of course, they're going to lose somebody close to them. But for me personally, when it played through in the initial sequence in Siwa and you kind of find out how their son died and kind of the, the circumstances around it, all it did for me it was like, I'm going to kill every last one of these <laughs> masked assholes and just track them down for forever and not let any of them escape because I just... Um, that that sense of loss while looking at at the new addition to my family on the floor, like it just like it was one of those things that it paired nicely with my personal situation. I understand there are some complaints about cliches with Assassin's Creed, but this mm. is one that really it, it it grabbed me right from that point on, and and I realized very quickly that I was I was not going to let any of them get off easy. <laughs> I'm also a bit of a sucker for anything that involves the death of a child as the father of three young boys, but um, I have to say I was a bit cold with this one. I think it's just because uh, it was not especially built up it seemed to happen quite at the mm. beginning and i recognize that that's just a sort of plot device something to kind of bring us in there and then reduce the relationship between bayek and aya but um yeah like when you look back over the assassin's creed they've often used revenge as the sort of the primary yeah. motivator for all the the you know the protagonists and i feel like this is no different you know it's like okay where it where it differs is in the fact that he kind of well Bayek kills his own son by accident, but yeah. it, it, it's him that wields the blade. And I thought it was kind of interesting. But where it, it really excels and where it stands apart from previous Assassin's Creed's for me was 
in the sort of interpersonal relationship between Aya and Bayek because I thought that was it was the throughout over the course of the game it, it's it it's fleshed out it's developed quite a bit and I and I really appreciate that bit because all the protagonists we've had so far have all been quite solitary characters you know all yeah. the families are murdered so there's nobody really they might have um distant family members cousins uncles that are other that are there on the periphery but they're never really a sort of a, a a close relationship with somebody so this is where that stuff stood out the actual reasons for for motivating the character were kind of you know what you'd expect i guess so there was nothing no surprises there i think the surprises come later in the game as things develop and and it gets kind of interesting but yeah so before we get to the actual development of that stuff, we do have some feedback that was left uh, very kindly for us on our forum. Um, you can feel free to play along with Caden Rince as always and, and leave feedback on the forum and they may get read out on the show. So we've got one from John Cheatham who said, this is an experience my inner 10-year-old had been waiting for, waiting two decades for without realising it. As a kid, I was completely fixated on ancient Egypt, collecting books, guides and magazines on the place and culture. Now I can be there actually riding through the sand with the pyramids coming over the horizon before me, all exquisitely rendered in one of the most breathtaking games worlds ever designed, was amazing. Origins floored me repeatedly with its painstaking digital recreation of, of the ancient land from the dusty tombs to the bustling cities and villages. Okay, um, and we do have another bit of feedback left there by David Rush on the forum. Rich, would you like to read this? The open world is vast and stunning, one of the most varied landscapes I have experienced this generation. From the stunning pyramids of Giza to the mysteries of the White Desert, these desolate yet seductive environments are juxtaposed with the rich and vibrant landscapes, filled with colour, life, flora and fauna. The well-researched and carefully crafted cities of Memphis, Alexandria, Thebes and Cyrene, with their gladiatorial arenas and amphitheatres, are filled with a genuine sense of bustling life. Whether it is the spontaneous dancing, dress rehearsals for a play to religious processions, Ubisoft have created a perfect example of an open world as a backdrop to player agency. The architecture is awe-inspiring. The statues for gods are on a grandiose scale, yet despite the feelings of insignificance, the human scale balance cuts through. Unlike Red Dead Redemption 2, which attempts to bridge the gap between playground and interactivity, Ubisoft have opted for a more detailed version of the playground setting. The world exists and never feels like it gets in the way of the player. The game is nuanced and filmed, filled with micro-details. Walk into a courtyard, home of the Apollonia Fields, and you'll see two men participating in wrestling practice. You can stumble across several dress rehearsals for a variety of upcoming plays at the Apollonian of Cyrene, or witness the strange goings-on in the high temperatures of the Great Sand Sea as curious visions distort Bayek and your perception of the world. There's probably been quite a lot of talk around this game, um, looking back on it, about the main characters. Um, my own personal experience is that it took me a while to get over the name of the main character because it just sounded like the most northern thing of all time. Um, and once it actually started to feel like an actual games character, I was kind of, that. that's what pulled me in. So Jay's probably described it best. It was, the opening didn't really do it for me, um, but it was when you actually got the conversations and the game is built almost on the inner monologue of Bayek um, and the interactions between Bayek and Aya kind of captured a, a story arc that I was hoping we'd have seen in Assassin's Creed before now and it was probably something that I would have really liked in Assassin's Creed Syndicate 
given that you had two siblings that never actually felt like they had any relationship at all, um, to actually see two characters that, whether it's the way that they're animated or the little gestures towards each other or the little comments, it, it fills in the gaps uh, that that are between the scenes almost in, in the things that happened. And I feel like that is a really strong um, element to the game. And um, yeah, I, 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 was, I found it a little bit, kind of awe-inspiring for an Assassin's Creed game. It's kind of not what I was expecting um from from these from these performances. How did everyone else feel about the, the, the performances of the characters in the game? I I was just gonna say I'm gonna echo everything that Jay said before and what you said just now, but um it pushed me in a way in this game that I not normally find in an Assassin's Creed game, but at least previous to Origins, where I felt compelled whenever there was a mission or or anything that could push Bayek closer to Aya. You know, if I knew Aya was yeah. in the city, I would I would find myself doing the thing that I normally don't do in these games. Like normally, I'm checking off all the the lower level quests, all the going up the line. But anytime I saw an opportunity for Bayek to interact with Aya to be with her, it felt like the game's narrative did such a good job at making them feel so wholly part of one another that I just felt compelled to to get to those points where they could spend time together it, i mean it's so well well written their in, interactions felt realistic it was a you know it is a love story but it was filled with you know like real human interactions they disagreed on things it felt like a real relationship and not just these you know kind of star-crossed lovers that we get all the time in in video games it's they felt like a real human couple dealing with tragedy and that's something that like i I was really caught off guard by that. I was not expecting that from an, from the Assassin's Creed series, and it was a real nice breath of fresh air to, to get that. The thing that impresses me in this game is how, how strong a character Io actually is in this. I mean, in many yeah. ways, she's the stronger of the two characters. She yes, sort of absolutely. is way more kind of single-minded focus on, on the job at hand than, say, Bayek is, who tends to be a little more kind of uh, led by his emotions a little uh, quite often during the course of the game. And I feel um, Aya generally throughout by the end of the game come well clearly by the end of it she's she's the she's kind of the instigator of the origin story in in more yeah. ways than one it it's it gets kind of interesting there's um there's a slight allusion to her in Odyssey which makes her character feel way more important than Bayek mm-hmm. but what I found was also kind of interesting with with Bayek's character is that because I don't think we've mentioned it at the moment, but he's a Magi. And these yeah. guys were like the police force at the time. He's like the the sheriff of Siwar or whatever. But it was like... <laughs> um, but that plays heavily into the way that his character is... is you know, you play as him because he's, he's, he's kind of a do-gooder, but he does it for the good of the yeah. people kind of thing. And I love that about him. I think there's there's always something you like about these characters when they... They uphold the law, you know, be it whatever mm-hmm. the law is, but they'll exact it in, in all kinds of ways. And, and you know, you, you, all that stuff I've, I really suckered me into to his character as well. And So I think it's important to say that Bayek is played by Abubakar Salim, who is a well-versed uh, TV and, and cinematic actor and not so much a video game capture performer. Mm. Um, and Alex Wilton Regan, who plays Aya, who very much is someone involved in games. Um, and there is kind of, you know, Jay, you've already kind of mentioned there that, that Aya is almost more responsible for the origin story arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Bayek is uh, 
you know, the judge, jury, and more often than not, executioner <laughs> of the story, um, and has that loyalty to uphold the laws and the rights of the people and avenge those who deserve it. And that kind of almost continually pulls him away from the path that's almost been defined for him um, as the story goes on, and he kind of fi- finds that as a battle that's very difficult. Yeah. Um, and Aya is very much a natural leader, um, a strong personality who sees a very distinct line between what is right and what is wrong. Um, and you you do sort of see over the arc of the game a, a separation from two characters who yeah. clearly want it to work, but both see their paths leading in a different direction. Um, Aya very much in control of hers and Bayek trying to do the right thing, but clearly not quite as in control, um, almost fighting the path of where he can see it leading. Um, and, and trying to do the right thing. And I think it feels very unusual in an Assassin's Creed game to not be playing that character who's very defined. And I think what was what I found very interesting was that there was a documentary made alongside this game where they actually interviewed uh, Abubakar Salim about his role in the game. And quite tellingly, he described that his character is probably not as important in the Assassin's Creed universe for a grand scale of movement in the scale that Ezio was, um, or even Connor in terms of, of his arc. And I think that's probably really fair, but at the same time, he has, for me, by far the strongest element of believable story over an entire game, and whether it it, it almost goes against the concept of an open world game to drive home a strong story like this but maybe because the flow is so organic it feels really natural Mm. in how you're learning this Mm -hmm. story and you're not just being told it at sort of checkpoints as you have been in previous games where okay you finish that sequence bit of story next sequence next bit of story kind of thing and that allowed it to sort of develop and because you can go away and um and I mean, you can really spend a lot of hours away from doing mainline story quests yeah. in this game. By the time you come to the next thing and you see a bit more story, it's almost really believable in your mind that that separation between the two characters for that period of time is really believable. So that when they come and and Aya is maybe talking about the things that she's been doing, and and you know that they have these little conversations and these little nuances, I found that a really powerful storytelling device yeah. that is. Not at all what I was expecting to get when I came into this game, and it's probably the thing that when I leave the game is what I'll remember most about it. And I think, like, if you look at those two together, Aya is much more driven by the cause, right? She she's, yeah. she has the mission, she has the cause, kind of, and, and developing, you know, the, the order is kind of like her passion by the end of it. When in reality... Bayek was only in it, only doing these things in order to get to the next person on his list. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. like, I've got these. These are the people that were responsible for for the death of my son, or at least the circumstances around it. I'm going to take them out, and then after that, I'm going to be happy. All the while, know that knowing that he's not going to be happy, never going to feel whole. And they talk about that a lot. And yeah, and yeah. And, and and those dialogue sequences are very powerful. Where Aya is basically pleading with him, like, can't you see some of the bigger picture here? And Bayek is almost like like an unwilling participant and all that, like almost kind of like, well, she, it's important to her, but I, this is my, this is where I want to be. This is what I need to accomplish. And that, that does feel believable. You know what I mean? He, he's willing to take those steps for the cause, not because he believes in the cause, but because the cause furthers his personal mission. And, and that, 
like you said, uh, Carl, uh, so eloquently, is just, it, that that just makes him so much more believable than your altruistic, you know, lead yeah. the revolution, you know, you know, stand at the front of the ship and yell charge. Like it's he's he's a very conflicted, very believable character, and I think it's um it, it's just that relationship between the two of them defines so much of what I love about this game. It's just it allows itself to to to, to foster these real relationships with characters that you actually like, really that you really care about. And and even though you might not agree with their motivations in certain aspects, you you want to be along for that ride and see where it goes next. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think it wouldn't be far to say that in past games you would have played the character that is Aya and been that driven force yeah. behind everything. Um, and the game is definitely stronger for being brave and stepping away from that and having someone who is vulnerable um, as the main lead, because Bayek, for being an incredible, you know, I don't want to say assassin, because for the vast majority of this game, you are not, um, but sort of this enforcer, uh, and he's tough, and people call on him, but actually, he's the vulnerable one, um, and he's talking, and there's there's some genuinely wonderful moments where you align the stars and stargaze um, as a side quest, and it tells little stories, and you hear the voice yeah, of I your son. And yeah, I love that, those. Just such a powerful storytelling device that worked incredibly well in this game. I think we talked about this a little bit in the Red Dead Redemption 2 podcast, and it's nice to see that Ubisoft had the uh, self-control almost not to try and superimpose a character in the situation yeah. and just allow the story to kind of naturally manifest, as opposed to basically trying to shoehorn a character in that we should have all known about. And it's because of that, 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 you know, that decisive nature that Aya has that we've got the two, like, gentle conflict in with one another that engenders the sort of uh, the future of the assassins in the way that you would you would expect to see. For the most part, you you come away thinking that Aya's more the politician. I mean, she's fully capable yeah. of, of of enforcing her own sort of sense of justice on people. As she, you know, you don't see it in the game, but you know that she's taken out a couple of the people responsible for her son's yeah. demise. Um, but it's, it, you know, he to de- describe him as an enforcer is probably a really solid word to use for it because he is almost like a just a, a weapon through this for the most part and he's told and directed by other people but um those moments where you do the stargazing thing i thought was were really interesting in the way that it never you never lost sight of what the motivation of the character was through those sequences you always kind of drove it home that it was about his son you know and, and those seeing those little flashback moments and the little stories that he would tell of the the stars and stuff i, I thought it was a really good way to keep that even the player focused on what this character's yeah. motivation was. And I, I, I dug that stuff. And it also unlocks stuff and you got a trophy for it, so it helped, <laughs> didn't it? Right, but... yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, it was a very clever tool that was very well utilised to keep uh, an open-world adventure which notoriously loses uh, the focus. Um, and I think the story is told in a way where it's you understand that the focus is there to be lost but it very cleverly brings it back in with those um, with those moments. And I don't mm. know what it's like to not encounter them because they are essentially optional sides. Yeah. Maybe that would give a different approach to the game. But for me, that delivered it in the most believable manner throughout. And I thought that was fantastic. But of course, they're not alone. We do have the antagonists to play off. So 
Um, we have characters like Cleopatra and her brother Ptolemy Thirteen. We have uh, Julius Caesar, um, which um, I mean, I might have been ignorant. It's not a character I was expecting to um, experience in this title. Uh, however, that said, I I did think he was a very good antagonist for the game, um, and he, he he did play the part well. And then you've got, of course, the secret society um, that seem to be leading Ptolemy Thirteen to make the decisions, uh, very in keeping, of course, with the spirit of Assassin's Creed. Um, and I thought that for for as brilliant as the protagonists in this game were, the antagonists almost fell a little short because maybe they, they weren't so involved. But I, I did enjoy the moments that we did encounter with Cleopatra and Julius Caesar specifically particularly yeah i think i think you're right and i think there's there's something to be said about the the secret organization kind of existing in the background a little bit too much and i suppose that's just Mm -hmm. in service of the twist that comes at the end of the game where you have flavius being announced as the lion or the the leader of that particular order as well but it is in keeping with the sort of like sub-narrative of what was going on between cleopatra and ptolemy the 13th and and caesar at the same point yeah, and I feel that it. I mean, the origin applies to both um, the assassins and, in a sense, the Templars as well, because yeah. you can see this is their origin story of a sense as well. It's just the way it kind of plays out is the. Now, I, forgive me if I, I get the name wrong, but the Ancient Ones is the. Is it the Order of the Ancient Ones, or is it just the Ancient Ones? I can't remember now. No idea. Hidden, the Hidden right, Ones. But, no, the hidden ones are the the assassins. That's what assassins, they, yeah. yeah. So that's and then they become the assassins and later in the 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 game, but the or in the DLCs when they actually be, yeah. become the brotherhood. But the um, so the the, the ancient ones are, are, are the kind of secret society that have been using the Isu artifacts to control people and stuff, and they they started to get so that's ties very heavily into what we've known as the Templars of, and Abstergo have done in in past yeah. uh, Assassin's Creed games, which it was interesting. But the idea of them being in the background, it, what interested me about them was the fact that they'd clearly been around a lot longer than the Assassins, and through their own hubris, brought on the Assassins, which you know then leads to centuries of infighting and all crossfighting between them but it was i found it was interesting but i do agree that there wasn't there wasn't like a principal antagonist i mean to refer to cleopatra and julius caesar as antagonists is is, it's it's strange because where like initially when they're introduced they're your allies yeah and it's only through course that cleopatra isn't so much an antagonist she's kind of caught in the middle of this she's just out for her own Mm. you know she, she wants what she wants she wants power She's but, a selfish politician, isn't yeah, she? More yeah. Than, yeah, yeah. I mean, Caesar. Yeah, he. So even after you've taken out all the um, the the order of the ancient ones or whatever they're called, he then re- recreates or starts them again, and and yeah, and then it leads to that stuff. So he's more of that, but he's yeah. But it, it, as it starts, he get, and I thought this is where it got interesting with with the game, where it, it kind of these people who initially you ally with and who help you then slowly you mm. see the turn and and that yeah i like that i like that kind of twist you know it's yeah yeah and i i thought the cleopatra one was interesting because it's playing as bayek bayek almost sees it coming mm. but mm. aya being so strong-willed and strong of mind feels that it's a necessary evil almost and that's kind of one of the real drivers in that relationship mm. that that almost separates them down different journeys 
But Julius Caesar is an interesting one because obviously he travels over um, and ends up, he wants to be an ally to Ptolemy, but mm. Ptolemy ends up assassinating an enemy of Julius Caesar and Julius Caesar is not happy about it because can that kind of kicks off some sort of political climate um, for sort of alliance shifts almost. Mm. And I feel like that was great, but the greater story, of course, is is the people manipulating them in the background. And whilst there are a couple of key interactions that are quite memorable of things happening and um, twists and a little, uh, a few surprises, for the most part, because there is essentially a hit list, mm. maybe two of them are memorable and the rest just kind of happen. Yeah, and I absolutely. feel like that fell flat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's... I guess there's a sort of there is a slight thing with that where it, what I felt they did a really good job of was blending in the sort of politics and history of the time because these people were at each other's throats they were you know trying to kill each other all the time I mean it's how you yeah. took power back then it wasn't like wasn't necessarily given to you you took it and so I found that I, having that as the the sort of the the overarching sort of narrative uh, and then mixing in all the sort of Bayek story and I you know I and the hidden ones and the the ancient ones adding all that into this I uh, to be honest I think they did a really good job of this stuff like just mm-hmm. and I think it's always been the case that the Assassin's Creed games have always it, it's one of the things I've always liked about it. and and I've often said in, in previous podcasts how I google more stuff when I play these games than any other series I've ever played because yeah. it's always fascinating to 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 discern yeah. the fiction from you know the fact from the fiction with this stuff. You know the history side of this is is absolutely fascinating to me. It always yeah. has been with these this series. And yeah, I think all that stuff. Although we were all familiar with it, well, we're, I say we're familiar with. I mean, usually our familiarity is with mummies and or the yeah, mummy right. film or something. The, the That's tales usually, and the mysteries, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. King Tut yeah. and basically nothing else. Or Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like that's where a lot of this stuff comes from for us because we're not. It's not necessarily something that we're kind of unless you study it, pers- you know, specifically. It's not really. It's there in the background all the time. We know of the pyramids, you know, you know of all that stuff. But there's so much that you, I wasn't familiar yeah. with that I learned from this guy. I and mean, it was, yeah, yeah, that stuff was fascinating. And almost through osmosis, you'd pick this up. So I think yeah. in every Assassin's Creed, the the kind of key principle is that you'll maneuver through the game, assassinating key figures who form yeah. like an infrastructure of that particular yeah. society. It's just that some of the um. I don't know, some of the order who you end up assassinating in this kind of form, like a, a very obtuse almost yeah. relationship with this society then. So you get the, the really obvious ones like the local shaman or the, the doctor yeah. or something mm. like this. Right. I think um, in this instance, I'd probably just needed to re- like familiarize myself with it a little bit more. But I agree agree with your point that is like some of the uh, assassinations here were, were a little bit nebulous to sort of comprehend what effect that would have on the, on the surroundings. Yeah. Yeah, when making notes for the show, I could easily come up with like various details from the the a lot of the characters I already talked about, and when, under my little heading where I wrote, you know, antagonists, you know, I wrote Julius Caesar, I wrote Cleopatra, and then I wrote the crocodile, and then I kind of like had like a, <laughs> yeah. like a like a like a moment where I was like, wait, who? What, there was a snake. I'm sh-, you know, so um, yeah, yeah it, it, they do have that that element of forgettability, um, which I guess makes sense. They're kind of masked antagonists, you know. You're just kind of taking yeah. one yeah. out after another after another after another. It kind of plays into the cyclical nature of like. Is revenge ever over? You know, is there, yeah. a, you know, are you ever going to, it, it yeah. plays into some of that, but 
those could have been framed with more um, relatable characters. And I think part of the problem with that, not problem, but one of the um, reasons they don't ha- like, you know, hit home is because by the time you reveal who that person actually is, the next mission is normally go kill them. And yeah. like, you don't really get a chance to, to mm. know them and to, and to like you know, to learn anything about them. Or um, I so. did. I did enjoy that side of it, though. The whole kind of discovering who they were. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like you know your kind of investigation at times where you have to take out. I mean, it's it's a well established sort of mechanic, to, you know, where you've got uh, an enemy and you have to take out their lieutenants before you can get to them. But with this, there's that ed- added kind of uh, sort of where you don't actually know who they are, so you've got to take these people out in order to discover who that person yeah. was. And so I I like that stuff, but yeah, I, I do agree that they're kind of they're not very memorable when it comes to actually fighting them. There's none yeah. that you know, despite the what hundred and odd hours that I spent playing this game, that I can barely remember any of that stuff. Like yeah. you know, it's strange, isn't it? Like that that side is weird, and I think. But but cast your mind back with other Assassin's Creed. Has that always been like to my mind? That's possibly. that's often been the case with Assassin's yeah. Creeds. Apart from the sort of the final boss character, the the whole you know the principal antagonist who you spent the entire game he- heading towards, I rarely remember any of the lieutenants and the the little guys that you take out on the way there. So it's funny that's that question. That question you just asked, Jay. I literally just asked out loud to myself, "Did I kill a pope in one of those games? Was that something I did? I'm pretty sure I did." But um, anyway, that's several. Yeah, I thought so. Okay, yeah, that's, um, it's funny though because you're right when you think of those old games, like. I, yeah. Maybe that was the case the entire time. So who knows? I think yeah, they're think... kind of shadowed over by some of the like protagonists and some of the key figures that form like comrades and such like. So I mean, yeah. I found it difficult to visualize who some of the the um, helpful characters were in this. But if you're looking at something like I don't know, let's take Syndicate for example. You've got Charles Darwin and you've mm. got um, Karl Marx for example. So they're really really key critical people in in that particular set, yeah. set of society. I just not too familiar with what it was in Egypt. Isn't that just a lack of your own familiarity? Yeah, I'm, with I'm happy to yeah. concede that. Yeah, I, th- I think for all the little things, one of the more memorable ones, at least for me, was when you return to the house after rescuing someone, only for the father to try and poison you, and he's actually oh, yeah. one of the. Yeah. And he is actually one of the targets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which one was and he? That, um, was that the one that was uncovering the buried ruin? Um, yeah. The snake. I think that's the snake. I might yeah. be. I could be butchering that, um, but yeah, the yeah, snake would be fitting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that—that that was a. I thought that that was a really good moment in yeah, the game actually, where it was. You yeah. sat at the table eating with him, his wife, and his child. Yeah. And yeah. the next thing you know, you're poisoned. Uh, I thought that was really that. That was one of the highlights. Well, that uh, one has one of the memorable ones. Yeah, there's there's more to that as well, isn't there? Because later on, yeah. his son tries to kill you. Yeah, and you have to take, and you have a choice there to basically end him or to basically try to convince him that he's wrong and and what his father really was, and you have to go through that. And I thought that the, in a way that was the single most interesting one because of that yeah. kind of the idea that your actions had consequences as well. You know, the son saw you murder his father, or at least perceived that you just murdered his father, who he saw as a good man. He didn't know anything about what he, what the part of the conspiracy that he was part of and stuff, and what he'd been responsible for as that. And so it's, and I thought that was, yeah, there was there was something in that, that yeah, that 
perhaps it would have been then again if they'd made every every encounter like that it would have it taken away yeah and yeah. you would have had the same it would have had the opposite effect of it being memorable in the sense that it's yeah but i think it was an interesting thing they did with that one particular guy yeah because up until that point he's been entirely friendly yeah um and yeah that, that really did surprise me in a really good way so of course with this there is one more cap- kind of important character to discuss. Uh, this is an Assassin's Creed game. Uh, we do feature the animus for entering these worlds for memories, mm. um, Abstergo as the villains. So in modern-day Egypt, we do have Leila Hassan, who is the body in the animus uh, for which you're uh, experiencing that world. Um, I don't really, and this might speak on my memories of Syndicate, remember what they did in regards to modern world animus usage i remember it was obviously the first person element in unity and it was quite a big thing but it definitely felt that for origins they stepped that back considerably to maybe three segments in the game yeah there were three segments i can't um honestly struggling to remember even though i love syndicate how the animus stuff was implemented there um yeah, they definitely made it more um i i, I don't want to say optional because there are those three sections that you have to interact with but they they basically do your first time out of the animus is they give you a lore dump on the computer on the yeah. laptop and it's basically this is here to engage with if you want to or you can just hop back in so they kind of give you that option I read all of it because I have played every game so uh, but um, but and there's a, quite a bit there actually there's stuff relating to there Desmond is, is yeah yeah I, I spent you know a good I would say probably a good hour or two over the course of the game reading through all that stuff and um. Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting lore there if it, if you choose to engage with it, but they don't make you interact with it in a way that you've had to before, particularly like Unity or Black Flag, where there were these long first-person segments uh, that were required yeah. to finish. But what Brian's not telling you there is that one or two hours is one or two hours out of a 100-hour game, yeah. which goes <laughs> to show just how, how sort of seldom you might find yourself in, in yeah. modern Egypt. I get that there's there's a kind of other narrative going ongoing with this as it has been throughout the entire series. But it always... I, I wouldn't say I found it jarring. I just found it an inconvenience, to be honest. And the second I could get back into ancient Egypt, that's what yeah. I was doing, just because I had more stuff going on in that world. And I think it's... it's I, I have no idea how they could better those sequences, how they could really, you know, improve them, because the only way you could really make them feel worthwhile is if you gave them more time, and that's, you know, to build the character, to make the character come off as, as you know, as interesting. Um, not that she isn't. The problem for me was that I didn't want to spend enough time with her yeah. to get to know her, so I was in and out of those sequences right. as quickly as I could. Yeah. I mean, so, it feels necessary, I suppose, because they need yeah. some kind of connective tissue, and, and Layla yeah, does retain for yeah. Odyssey as well. Well, they do try... Don't to, to to flesh her out as a character as someone who has aspirations for working for Abstergo and wants mm. to prove that she's capable of being brought in in the same way that Dr. Vidic was in the original Assassin's Creed mm. uh, mm. to run yep. the program at Abstergo only for Abstergo to want to keep it internally um, and see her as an enemy. Um, but it does feel like that's worlds colliding. So the bits where you play Layla feels like very old school Assassin's Creed. And whenever you're in the Animus feels like very new world Assassin's Creed mm. origins. And I think that's kind of the, the disparity between, between the, the modern day and the ancient Egypt elements. So before we get onto the world uh, of Assassin's Creed origins, we do have some feedback from the forum. 
Uh, Brian, would you like to cover this one? Sure. Uh, Steve Aaron from the forum says, I can't praise the world building of AC Origins enough and could wax lyrical about the soundscapes, lighting design, and historical, historical accuracy, all near to brilliant, but surprisingly, what really blew me away about Origins was the story. I'd always been left slightly cold with previous installments of AC when it came to central narrative. I'd felt that the way you brushed up against historical figures and the major events they participated in to be a bit like showing you a toy behind glass and letting you look but not play. You never actually won the French or American Revolution, just wandered through it. It just seemed a bit of a shame to not go whole hog and let you live a historical power fantasy to the full. True, that wouldn't have been historically accurate, but are Electric Apples of Eden accurate either? Just let me win history! However, Origins blew me away by telling a story so completely out of character that I couldn't help but be genuinely moved. While you, whilst you do the obligatory meet famous person, kill Mark, rinse and repeat, I was surprised that, at its core, Origins tells the story of the disintegration of a marriage as a result of the death of a child. I found the drifting apart of Bayek and Aya deeply melancholic. The actors involved showed great skill in portraying a couple who wanted nothing more than to reconnect, but over the course of the narrative I found the distance growing between them too great to bridge. Of course, you do partake in the overthrow of a dynasty and involve yourself in Ubisoft's usual mumbo-jumbo, but it was this very human tragedy that kept me hooked. I wanted to know if they'd make it. I can't remember another entry in the series, and they all involved the death of family members in one way or another, that was handled so subtly and movingly. The denouement coming with a whimper rather than a bang. Something that I don't think other AC games have implemented intentionally. Yeah, so the emailer, um, I want to give major props to Abubakar Salim for his stellar performances Bayek of Siwa. I went into AC Origins years after its initial release, and so I didn't really know what to expect from Bayek. What I found was a man deeply seated in grief, in vengeance, as many AC protagonists are. But at the same time, he, was a, he has a very human element that I feel AC games try to develop in their protagonists way too late in their games. That's not the case with Origins. As we begin to see that Bayek has layers to him fairly early on in the game, we see him slip into his identity as a father whenever he interacts with children. We see the passionate and broiling side of him whenever his lover Aya is on screen. And we even see him show tact and cunning as he uses his skills as a magi to investigate crimes and even go undercover as a gladiator for a mission. Bayek is simply a joy to play, as because of his temperament as a character and his earnestness, I found myself taking on side missions, not so much for the rewards, but rather to see how Bayek would react to the situation at hand. When Bayek is hurting emotionally, you can feel the pain he's going through due to Mr. Salim's performance, as much as you can feel Bayek's joy whenever he jokes around or is sarcastic with people. And finally, David Rush on the forum said, Moving to this quest-focused structure in the beautifully imagined ancient Egypt gives the players such great freedom to dictate the pace of the narrative and cement Bayek and Aya's legend. From avenging their son's murder to them, establishing the Hidden Ones, the early precursor to the Assassin Brotherhood, Bayek and Aya are two passionate souls whose love for one another is beautifully realised through the performances of Abubakar Salim and Alex Wilton Regan. Their honesty, sincerity and portrayal of the unconditional love that only a parent know rang true to me. I hope that I never have to endure the pain of losing a child, but I can empathise with them and their determination in righting this injustice. The character development of our two protagonists is the series' strongest since Ezio, and considering his arc took three games to come to fruition, seeing Bayek and Aya develop in a single, albeit much lengthier game, 
is a credit to the game's writing staff, who somehow keep the main narrative moving without the optional side quest hindering the plot. So I think that this is as good a time as any to sort of acknowledge the big change uh, that Assassin's Creed went through. Um, and it is a game that I've alluded to already has had many influences. It feels like gaming went through a cultural shift when The Witcher 3 landed in the same way that we've had the likes of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time or Half-Life or Halo in that you see something and then you see everything else change because they know that what they're doing is not good enough and mm. the the market and the type of game has changed uh, and it's moved on a level and The Witcher 3 did that for gaming and it felt like Assassin's Creed Origins was Ubisoft kind of moving first to try and uh, and mirror and mimic that. There, There is an element that the world is always ongoing around you that, that is, it, it really does help the world. But, of course, The Witcher 3 isn't the only influence there, I think. You know, for those playing word bingo, um, Dark Souls, with its combat structure on the bumpers, um, is probably a big switch. Um, anything else come to mind for people that, that you felt like this was, this was a game that's clearly looked at something else and well, changed its style? Yeah, they had true leveling up in it, experience and, and rated gear, and, hmm. like, you could see you could see the the destiny and Diablo hooks in there as well. Um, yeah. You know, the color coded gear they had, um, and that you had levels and stuff before you could upgrade your equipment, obviously, but it not quite like this. You could really, no. And you know, RPG mechanics, you know, there is there, there's no game today that isn't some way an RPG. Normally racing games are RPGs now, but the, um, you could see them taking like really conscious steps in different areas. Like, like, like it never felt like any one of those things were tacked on. They were certainly trying new things, and and they kept all, most of it or a lot of it for Odyssey afterwards. But they, they, it felt like they were kind of coming out and being like, "This is what Assassin's Creed is now, moving forward," and taking that step while kind of surveying the landscape around them. Like these are the changes we got to make. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. And I think what, one of, one of the comments that I've written down here in the notes is economy. So it feels like the economy in the game is altered. So we did have weapons and we had all that before, but it almost feels like now it allows you to find a set of weapons, whether it's one of the multiple types of bow or a mace or a sword, knives, that kind of thing, um, different shields that have different effects, and then you can get perk rolls that are random on them. Um, again, very much like your standard uh, RPG. And if you find the ones that you like and they're maybe level 12, and you're now at level 18, they're next to worthless because they're not hitting with the same amount of damage. But you can go to a blacksmith and you can level them up with other resources that are earned so you can maintain the same kind of weapons that, that you're very happy. So you may have a, an, an arrow, a bow that has arrows that are automatically lit when you fire them, or you might have a sword that when on block poisons enemies or increases uh, health recovery. These kind of structures were were new to the series, and mm. the fact that they'd actually built a whole economy and all these systems that you could actually go and spend these resources to keep them with you. And it's not something that I recognised for far longer than I would have liked in the game, but it's something that I really did like yeah. because we often play games where you get some really good loot that you really like, but they're so early game that they're just worthless Absolutely. a couple of hours into yeah. it, and you have to toss them away, and you've got like a gold epic item 
and then you can't use it because you know your blue you know rare item is eight levels ahead of it and just has a fraction of the effect so that was obviously one of the big shifts that they've moved in that structure as well um and that is something that i really liked but yeah maybe even more than that was the radical change in combat so uh assassin's creed had almost started to feel like there was there was a musical nature to it wasn't it you watched for the animation that someone went and if it was a certain kind of animation you might parry another one you might dodge yeah you know very much the uh batman arkham asylum style combat thing where every move has a certain reaction that you would go through and the combat was always interconnected and then you'd end up just countering constantly if you could because it was the quickest way to level up that is now removed not that you can't do them but that the fact that the combat is far more separated you can get ambushed by large amounts of people some on horseback some on the mm. hills um different kinds of weapons you know you have your heavies and your lights and and your artillery and you've got those that will run and call in re- um uh additional support and it feels like if you're not careful, things can escalate really radically and you can be put in a very difficult situation where it is possible to die. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was obviously a radical change in the combat because this feels very different to every Assassin's Creed game before it. Um, how did everyone feel about that shift? Loved it. I absolutely loved it. It lacks the sort of cinematic presentation of, of previous sort of fight sequences in the game, but I yeah. think often... And I've enjoyed playing like four, and I, I love being Kono with the tomahawk and taking people out with that thing and pulling the counters. It all looked really slick, but when you compare it to this, it almost feels remote control. You know, press triangle yeah. to fire your gun, press square to block, or whatever. And and you know, it you could it would just happen, and you, you didn't really have that much of interaction with it aside from just quickly pressing buttons in sequence and, and stuff. And it played itself almost in those sequences. But with Origins, it felt like you really had to take note and think before you went into any kind of combat sequence. You know, you had to use, um, you know, you would have to mark up enemies uh, first and, and see what level they are, you know. And if they were, if they were a level or two higher, that added a whole tension to the fight because you know, potentially you're looking if they if they overwhelm you as they can really quickly in this, especially yeah. if you've got a couple of archers on horseback, the amount of damage they would do and yeah. it would be constant getting hit by arrows while you're trying to take this guy out in front of you and it's like, oh god damn it <laughs> yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. It added this whole tension that just hadn't been there. And it was just I loved the combat in this. Loved it. Yeah. Just the whole approach yeah. to, you know, when you see and just harking back to, we, we touched upon them briefly in just a minute ago, with the Falakas, who are basically, they're, they're dotted around the map and they have a, a, an entire route that they can take that you have no control over other than if you, would, yeah. you go directly in. But the amount of times that I would accidentally run into, one of these guys would turn up whilst I'm in the middle of a fight. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly it's like, I'm running out, I'm getting out of there because yeah. this guy would have the big red skull over his head because he's way higher than I can possibly take on. And so it was like, and it, it added this whole level of tension that I've never experienced in, um, yeah. I suppose, it, it, maybe I did. The nearest thing I can think of with this is when you take on those legendary ships in Black Flag. <laughs> you yeah. know, when you see them on the horizon and you're like, Ooh, should I? Should I? <laughs> and then you're going in and you think, and then 
you know, five seconds into that fight, God, I wish I hadn't done this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> <laughs> and you're like trying to get out of there before your ship sinks and stuff yeah. like that. But that's the nearest thing I can compare it to in previous Assassin's Creed. It, those guys, I loved those guys. I hunted every single one of them. Well, obviously I did because I got a platinum, but it was like, mm. I loved that bit. And I think of all the things that were different in this game, that's probably my, one of my favorite additions to this sort of yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in Assassin's Creed 2, I want to say, I would be, you know, Ezio in the street and I would just keep mm. backing around a corner while I was surrounded by a circle of like 20 or 30 guards. Yeah. They would, they'd come at me one at a time and I would just counter mm. and kill just to see how big the pile of bodies I could build yeah. would be. You know, compare that to Origins and you're just talking about an absolutely, I mean, just just a complete evolution of, of, of yeah. what they think about gameplay in these games to the yeah. point where, like, and it's already been stated by you and Carl, like, it, uh, by Jay and Carl, they... You're, you go into every situation, and you have to be much more tactical. I became so much more of a ranged attack yeah. person in this game. You know, upgrading yeah. my arrows the, to getting the, the, the essentially the predator arrow, arrow that I can control myself after I shoot. The way that it allowed you to kind of diversify how you wanted to tackle combat situation. Always yeah. me personally with my playstyle, I would want to do as much damage from afar, and then I always wanted to be equipped with poison weapons because then I could like you know kind of get a quick stab in and run away and watch their health mm. bleed out like <laughs> they it really offered a lot of different styles of, of play and set something combat in previous entries, not all of them, but there's certainly a, a, a vast majority of them was something just felt like, Oh, I got this. I, oh, this sword's better. Okay. I'll equip it. But you know, you, you feel by the end, you can just you hit the right buttons in the right sequence. You're going to, you know, yeah. kill anybody. Yeah. yeah. In an interview with um, Ashraf Ismail, what he said, one of the kind of critical things that they did in Origins was to really look at reinventing the sort of way you would engage in, in, in hand-to-hand combat in particular. So AC, the, the entire series beforehand, had this almost like magnetism where you and your opponent are pulled together and the animations are yeah. sort yeah. of built to accommodate that gap between the two of you. And that simply doesn't exist in Origins in, in that sense. Like, if you swipe somebody, you will not be pulled towards them and they won't be pulled to you. You're just going to whiff the shot and then yeah. you're left wide open. But yeah. I think as Radical Approach, uh, that, that was to the change. Like What I think Ubisoft did really well and this is something that they've persisted with throughout the rest of all of their kind of open world things is just to sort of like merge and to take tacit uh, game mechanics out of other games. So you look at like Senu, who's the eagle. That's quite clearly like a nice lift and shift of the uh, drone mechanics from Ghost Recon Wildlands. And you've got all sorts of different sort of uh, mechanics in that sense that just bring into AC to make it a much more robust game. And it's no more evident than when you look at things like the stealth mechanics. So one of the things that they did is they introduced forward in time, which is the way that, uh, Mm. in the likes that you would see in uh, Metal Gear Solid, for example, where you can put guards into like a sleeping pattern. You can tame animals. You can distract people in the way that you can in other games from uh, other Ubisoft open world games like that. And then obviously you've got the Predator Bow, which makes it a little bit more um, of a sort of one-to-one um, albeit a, a strange conceit, um, yeah. you've got like much more one-to-one control of the bow. So you, you, your um, options, both in combat and while in stealth, are so much more diverse than what they were in any yeah. of the series beforehand. And and when uh, in stealth, it's no longer a guaranteed kill. Because I remember the, yeah. the first time I did that, a guy walks by me. He's like five levels ahead of me. He walks by me. I'm just like, ah, I'm just gonna hit Y. Take care of him. And I, I stealth attack him from behind, and it like three quarters of his health went off. And then he turned around and shouted at me. I was like, Oh no! Like yeah. I wasn't expecting that <laughs> at all. And all of a sudden, now I'm running from you know six, seven people. Boat, you know, arrows flying over my head. Just like get the hell out of here. And that was like, 
it 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 changes the power dynamics of combat. Yeah. You know, it, in a, in a way that like some people and I've heard the criticism and valid or not. It, I mean, all criticism valid. Like, oh well, if you're attacking somebody from behind, you know, you should you, should, you know, that should be an insta kill. But like, should it really? I mean, if they've got better gear than you, if they're you know yeah. more experienced, like. Like it's it to me it made it feel made me feel much more vulnerable, which made me had to be much more conscious yeah. of my decisions. Yeah, quite. But I mean, there's a conceit in the mechanics of the game there. So there's I talk about this a lot, like back end mechanics in there where you can like dramatically and exponentially increase the power of your um, stealth kill by actually pumping into the right. RPG mechanics of it, and it's sort of you're building as an assassin, and it just yeah. makes tonal sense with the theme of like the origin of the assassins in this case. Right. Yeah. One of the things there, um, and Rich touched upon it, is the radical tactical differences that the game can implement or that you can implement on the game to your own advantage. Mm. So when you first start playing the game and it teaches you controls and you go through an elongated tutorial, you don't necessarily know the tutorial and you feel like you can just attack, attack, attack and swipe and, and kill all your enemies. And then the game evolves over time and you realize that that's not so fitting and you might have to go into a camp because you can capture these camps and sometimes you have to go and take out uh captains and and commanders uh try and get you know hidden treasure or hidden items hmm. scrolls for other treasure these kinds of things and it can be quite intimidating but if you uh level up through a an rpg unsurprisingly structure which is ventured into three different areas, you can really construct Bayek to play how you want to your strengths. Um, and this isn't a game where you go up 50 levels and you go up quickly. It takes quite a long time to level up. Yeah. And this isn't just something where you go, okay, I've got my levels, I'll buy everything. No, no, you still have to make that choice. And it's that tactical choice that something like um, Prey in 2017 did very similar, where you have to be very careful about the decisions that you make. And I realized that I wanted to go in the structure. I wanted to make it so that I could hold the button and turn night to day. And then you realize that the whole world reacts very differently at night. So markets are closed and you go to encampments and the guards are asleep. And then you can be really sneaky and you can pick up um, bowls of oil and you can lay them and almost block off the entranceway. And then you can just light an arrow and you'll set the oil and you'll flood and you'll set all the soldiers who are high level on fire. And fire is an incredibly useful tool in this game because it's very, very strong. It's also very strong against you. Um, so you've got to be very careful about where you stand and where you placement. And you can be very tactical and very technical in ways that you can be in games like Metal Gear Solid and yeah, Splinter Cell. Yeah. And, and these go into Assassin's Creed now. And... For the longest time, I complained that I didn't feel like an assassin playing Assassin's Creed Origins. And a large part of that is because, well, fundamentally, you're not for a large mm -hmm. part of it. And you don't get your hidden blade until very late into the game, really, which has been your go-to quick assassination in previous games. And being able to react and adapt to situations is probably what always keeps it exciting. So I think my overall playtime was about 90 to 100 hours. Mm. Um that's long. It's very long for most games. Um, and I felt that everything that I did, I had to be on my toes because I could get caught out at any time. But it also meant that I could adapt to whatever the game was given in that situation. So it was almost 
you could raise the stakes on the game and then it could very quickly raise them back on you and you'd have to adapt and raise it back on them. How can you get the advantage? And sometimes you might just have to run and tactically reassess your situation. The quality of the game yeah. is that it comes off feeling effortless when it does it. Nothing feels forced, and that is what I absolutely adored about the combat in this game. So one of the major changes to the game, and we've already mentioned there that this is an open-world Assassin's Creed. This is a world that exists, and you play it and you approach it, and you get a very organic delivery of missions to you. And whilst you can choose them from a list in your menu, a lot of what actually happens is by being in the vicinity of people overhearing conversations or talking to one person triggering something else, um, and it can offer a variety of missions that in some way are a take on how they've been done in the past. So there are missions where you've got stealth and listen to people, but it's changed from that awful system that always frustrated in past ones. Um, you've got a detective mode ones, which were brought in on uh, Assassin's Creed Unity. Um, they come back and sometimes you'll just hazard a, you'll just happen across a certain situation and you might see a body um, and you kind of have to investigate the things that have happened. And kind of, um, as Brian said, there's no hierarchy that, that main quest line missions have to take above uh, sort of the secondary quests. I found that just approaching them as and when I saw them, I didn't care if it was a main line, I didn't care if it was a secondary. Um, I just found that that delivery of the missions really, really worked for me in the same way that The Witcher 3s did. One of the things that the series has struggled with, I guess, from my perspective, from, I don't know, the original Assassin's Creed all the way through to Syndicate, which was 2015, is the transition from indoors to outdoors always felt very bizarre to me and yeah. not very natural. And in this game, the whether it's the mechanics or the settings and, and the fact that you've got some really bizarre, um, I don't know, let's say some architecture that isn't necessarily like modern or modern for Assassin's Creed, it just worked in a way that was uh, a little bit better. So you could, you could really take advantage of the height. And also, it's not just about you being at a certain height. You've got Senu there to try and elevate the situation and, and provide a perspective on what's going on. But what I really think is is absolutely fascinating about this is one of my preconceptions was that Egypt was going to be all desert. And um, as a geography student and somebody who spent six years studying geography, I probably should know a little bit more about Egypt than, <laughs> and the topography of the place than I actually do. But um, my God, like Egypt in, in that particular time period is so diverse and so lush and so mm. full of... Um, plants and such like that there's just a, like a wealth of opportunity just to sneak around and find different places and really skulk out areas and, and um strategies to to go about doing what it is that you need to do it felt there was it was a game that really rewarded exploration and there was a sense of natural discovery it wasn't just about going you know seeing a, a marker on a map and pressing a, a, a you know the locator so you'd have the arrow on screen to take you there but there was just this sort of uh, natural sort of you'd walk past the cave and you go oh there's a cave let's go and have a look at it. Yeah. and then suddenly it leads into this huge labyrinthine thing inside of a mountain that's got you know a bandit camp in there that you didn't know was there and it was suddenly you know and i love that sort of that very organic way of playing that game this i think to many this can be a turn off in the sense that you know that sort of you want more structure to your gameplay i'm less inclined for that stuff i've got the structure there in terms of the main missions i know what i've got to do and i'll get you know but one of the things that i um 
one of the, probably the biggest changes I really liked in this was having the camel or horse or whichever animal you were using. Camel. Chocobo. Camel. <laughs> was to um, put it on autopilot and just have it, you, you'd, let's say you start at Seawire and then you would put a marker to Alexandria and you would just get on the horse and it would ride. And I, I loved using this as a way to open up the map because even if it was going through yeah. areas that you hadn't, that were undiscovered, so to speak, at that point, it would still take you there. It would just go through them. Occasionally, I ran through high-level enemies in those areas that would one shot me with an arrow. So it was like I'd I'd be watching, and then suddenly I'm dead. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, um, let's try a different route this time. Yeah, but um, but it was that that stuff added to this sense of exploration because it would just, as I do with games like Red Dead, I I don't like fast travel in these games. I like going mm. actual war, you know traveling by a camel or whatever to that point from point A to B and what I might discover because it was always the sense of what I might come across on the way you know be it somebody asking for help be it uh, you know people being attacked by you know lions or whatever it was just anything that just felt organic and they'll just yeah. jump off and get in and get into it you know and it was and sometimes you come across a side mission that you just discover you know and it was like and it would just lead to a very sort of disorganized play because I would often have something in mind, which, you know, two hours later, I still haven't got to where I wanted to be, but I've done so much other stuff in between that it was just, it was fun. And that it does the thing that I, I really appreciated about um, uh, the most recent Mario game, Mario Odyssey, is mm-hmm. that in Mario Odyssey, if there was like a platform or something you saw off in the distance, there was no moon or anything, no... no um, you know, real objective out there. But if you went out into this middle of this area and you climbed up to the top of whatever thing you saw, there would at least be a few invisible coins or like a little piece of like fringe detail. And that's the thing that Assassin's Creed yeah. Origins does so well is that there's there's always something there. Like if you look and you see something and you go there, it sometimes it might just be, you know, a weapon or a note that like fills out some lore. Or it might be, yep. you know, like a, like a burnt out campfire with a couple skeletons and then, you know, like some, some you know, some different items and things. But there's always a, re- there's no, nothing in that world feels like it was placed there by happenstance. It always feels like you see something on the horizon. If you go there, there's going to be something worth your while for going there. And that's, there's a lot of open world games who fer- fall victim to the fact of like, yeah, you can go to the top of the mountain, but if there's nothing at the top of the mountain, why would you go there? Yeah. Yeah. And th- this game is the antithesis to that. It, it it is absolutely insane the attention to detail in this. So I think the first thing I want to say is that it's almost a sort of one to no, well not one to one, but a very um, compressed, exact replication of the geography, topography, and like yeah. vegetation of Egypt. So you've got the Nile that runs down the east of the map, and then you've got what is current modern day Libya on the northwest. So it, it, it totally approximates exactly what the layout and geography of Egypt should be at the moment. But the the diversity that's in there was absolutely stunning. And I remember having a conversation with Jay prior to him playing AC Origins and just saying, look, okay, as quickly as you humanly can, get yourself up to the northwest and just take in some of the sites because it is Mediterranean. And I had spent yeah. so much of my time just pontificating on how how could it possibly be that an AC game could exist in what is predominantly desert? And, and that is absolutely not the case. You've got 
uh, like marsh swampland. You've got um, almost kind of like pastoral land just around Alexandria. You've got a metropolis in Alexandria. You've got a sort of boggy city in Memphis. And then you've got mountainous areas as well as the full gamut of the, the Saharan desert in there as well. It, it's It's absolutely stunning to behold. Yeah, don't forget the city with the single best name ever, Crocodilopolis. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, and I think, and it's, it's already been mentioned by one of our contributors uh, in this episode already, was we were all waiting to see the Sphinx and the Pyramids. Mm. Um, and it takes probably a surprising amount of time to get there. It's not something that you, it doesn't take the easy way out and throw you there straight away. So, the, the, the sort of the spectacle of seeing that for the first time was genuinely uh, awe-inspiring to me. Yeah, um, and, and seeing the, it in in the way that it was supposed to have been at that time. So obviously you've got yeah. the gold-capped like peaks. peaks. Yeah, and, and it's just it's just incredible. And and obviously the Sphinx is perhaps a little bit more clear and less weathered than what it is at the moment. Before we get totally bogged down in the finer details of what's there in terms of the art. We do have, obviously, the size there, um, and that isn't to everyone's tastes. So, Rich, if you want to read the emailer's comment. Yeah, so the emailer from the forum reads, uh, Visiting the sites of ancient Egypt is thrilling and the world building is great, but AC is best for me in cities, exploring buildings, running across rooftops, stalking targets and infiltrating bases. I don't feel that combat and the traversal led themselves to traipsing through countrysides in search of collectibles or levelling up. I won't be a big AC fan while they're a massive open world. It simply puts filler between things I really like. It's a shame, as they seem to be writing really good characters now on top of the fun on exploring their version of history. Brian, if you want to read Dark Owls. Assassin's Creed was the very first game that I had on the 360, and I'd followed the series religiously up until Rogue on the last-gen consoles. It took me about five years to get a current-gen console, so I came into the series behind a number of games, and I'm glad that I skipped to this one after hearing nothing but negatives in between. The first thing that I noticed was that I was actually getting damaged in the combat. Gone was the invincible block counter strategy that had made me feel more like a god than an assassin in the previous games. That, coupled with the sprawling and beautiful landscapes, the increased RPG elements and immersiveness of ancient Egyptian setting, and my sincere thanks to the developers for removing 100% synchronization achievements, re-energize my love of the franchise. And finally, Jay, if you want to read The Reprobate Gamer. Origins for me is a great game that I just don't have the time or drive to properly commit to. I have a generally positive view of this game, and in fact of the AC franchise. I have to say that there must be something missing for me, as I've consistently failed to finish or even get more than a third through any AC game since Brotherhood. In part, this is due to a lot of other games with their demands on time, but certainly there is a factor of the sheer size of the game is certainly a consideration. I suspect that it's a single-player game is also a factor. Most of the other open-world games that I have sunk hours of play into have co-op in some measure, Ghost Recon, The Division, GTA Online. And I remain a little disappointed that after Unity, which I've never played, the multiplayer aspect has been dropped from this franchise. Um, I said finally, but there is also a comment there from Nick Fontana that I'll read. Um, Open world games are in a weird place for me when it comes to my preferences. Where at one time I would look at a game like Grand Theft Auto 3 or the original Assassin's Creed with a sense of glee at being able to explore and experiment as much as the game would allow me. Nowadays I find myself stressed out and impatient in such gaming environments. 
more often than not, I would find myself just traveling from mission to mission within these open worlds because I didn't find the environment to be dynamic enough to encourage a lot of exploration or because the side activities that were offered were quite mundane. Assassin's Creed Origins took that perception of mine and turned it on its head ever so slightly. The world is beautiful and captivating, I think many people would agree on that, but it also feels so organic and inviting to the player that you can't help but explore all the sights that you see on the horizon. I find myself deviating off the beaten path on pure instinct, choosing to explore deep basins in the earth, climb the highest peaks of pyramids, and dive deep into the sunlit waters of Egypt. And I did all this not to get to the next mission or obtain a reward or some sort, but because I actually wanted to. I felt the need to see more, to experience more of this world and its culture and its architecture. Assassin's Creed Origins is one of the few games that made me feel like a kid again. For all the curiosity I feared I had lost over the years came flooding back to me whenever I booted the game up. I even found myself using the photo mode to take pictures of my journey, just as a proper explorer would. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like Jay's about to get so, triggered here. So, yeah. given the mention there of you know the 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 photo mode that's in the game, I think it's probably quite important that we talk about the art design, the graphics, the animation, the presentation that comes with it, and of course the all important photo mode um, with Mr. J Taylor well, on the podcast. Yeah, but the thing, is, so the thing with the photo mode to me, it, I love the feature. As anybody who follows me on Twitter can attest to. I, I, I spend a lot of time with this feature on any game that's got it. But it the thing that I, I one of my bigger biggest takeaways from that mode in general is just how much it makes me appreciate the work that has gone yeah, into this game. Absolutely. You know, being able to zoom in on sort of like uh Bayek's cowl and seeing the fiber detail you know and and you know things that look like you know just when you zoom right into a, a sword and you're looking at the hilt and the way the metal has been modeled and, and i i know there's techniques these days like photogrammetry which you know maybe takes some of the kind of artistry of hand crafting that stuff but still still it takes You've skill got to implement it haven't yeah you? it's still it's still there's still skill there's still tons of talent there and I think when you use photo mode and you're just looking at the environments and you can just, there's a real deep sense of appreciation of, of what goes into these games. Yeah, I remember there was one particular scene I saw as I came over a hill and kind of looking down into the next city I was going to. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yeah. And it and it is that moment, and I've said this on almost every Kane and Rinse I've ever been on, but there, there's... There's moments in some games where you can't help yourself. I mean, to heck with hyperbole or heck with anything else, where you think to yourself out loud, "This is the best looking game I've ever seen." You know, like yeah. like will can they get any better than this? And the <laughs> and the obvious answer is yeah. yes, of course they can, and they will. But I had a few moments like that with a, with this game where I just you know, it, and I was playing on a standard Xbox One and didn't have an X and um and, and like which I think at the time was graphically rated the lowest of all of the you know ways you could play yeah. the game. And it just, it just, it just floored me on multiple occasions. Like, and and then on top of that, to have the attention to detail that Jay was talking about, like you look at some of like the chipped stone on some of the Anubis statues, and like how it's not just the same one reused over time. Like the way that you know the 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 cemented statues seem to crack and waver. Yeah. It just, it really, yeah. it just, it's a it's a real um, accomplishment by the team, and um, and and it just it 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 blew me away in multiple times. So. This is the game that I've taken the most screenshots in. And what actually blew me away after the fact, and it's kind of 
one of those things that I never realized that I was doing at the time. This game looks so good at times that I was taking screenshots without going into photo mode because historically we've seen photo mode will sometimes sharpen the image, it'll focus it, these kinds of little tricks that you can play to just make your photos look that little bit better. And there was times where I was just looking at it so blown away that I was going to screenshot. And I'm quite advantaged. I was playing on the Xbox One X. I've got the chat pad, so you have a button there to take a screenshot without ever actually necessarily going into the system. And even looking back at those, there are some times that I find it hard to believe that that game looked as good as it did. And it, it, it flashes back to when I saw E3 and I was like, that cannot look that good when it comes out. And then I'm playing it and I'm going, I can't believe how good this game looks. Yeah. Like from the moments that you're looking over the marshlands or you're seeing the slight discoloration of waters, which don't all look the same. Some some are beautiful, clear, crisp blue. Some are dark green with a, uh, some are almost brown because of the mud and the sand in it. Um, and it is, by the way, for me, the best water I've seen yeah, in the game. Hands like, down. It genuinely, it's great. Blows my mind. I and the fact so it is it, the the way for me it it's co- a combination of that and the lighting model because when you get the yeah. the light sort of refracting through the water to make it you know so like you'll get a wave that will become transparent or look transparent and the way that light is shining through it and that stuff I was I'm I, I'm sat there just in awe of it thinking yeah. that is you know I've got no idea the alchemy that goes behind that. I don't really need to know. I just appreciate it every time I see it and think, oh my God, that is so well animated. It's so well done. You know, the waves, the ripples, the, the yeah. oh God damn, yeah. It, it is genuinely mind-boggling. And then the fact that you can actually go and jump in that water yeah. and then swim around and you've got like the light coming through the surface and yeah. bouncing off hidden treasures. So you've got sunken ships and these incredible statues of the gods that are sometimes under the water. And it's just a magical environment. And there were times where you, you know, you synchronize your viewpoints and you do all these kinds of things. And then you just stand there and you just watch the ships sailing into ports and people walk, uh, walking around on the docks and people in the markets and the hustle bustle and the draw distance and everything is just happening in front of you. And now like I said, I was taking screenshots of these, mm. and then I was realizing I wasn't even doing it in a photo mode. Like I was just taking it mm. with the interface on at all, or where you're going through the desert and you're climbing up these hills, and suddenly a sandstorm blows in your face, and you can't see where you're going, and it's all orange, and the sunlight's coming through the sand, and just I, yeah, go, it was go one up of to where Libya is as well, and just it's sort yeah, of like color yeah. and the vegetation yeah. and the plants, and it's just it's just incredible. Yeah, I was I was going to say that too. There's like the 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 way that color is used, and I don't mean it's not even in the, in, yeah. in the the palettes that they're using. It, everything just has this vibrant life to it that like it just it feels, I, I mean it feels tangible. It feels like you know that you could go. It, it does. Feels like you could go to that place and and get that experience. Yeah. It's it's quite something. I'm gonna I'm gonna ding it for one thing, and this is the only time you'll ever hear me say this. Uh, in the nine months between when the um shelf day came and the the point that i picked it up i've been over to my friend's house who play was playing on a high-end pc at 60 frames a second <laughs> and it is st- like beautiful like a stunning game at 60 frames and to see it run at l- like that liquid smoothness to go into 30 frames on a on a ps4 was almost just disappointing and i'm not a snob about frames a second i really don't care about it in any other circumstance so 
this is probably the only time you're ever going to hear me complain about a frame rate. So yes, of course, art is nothing without the sound and the music that goes with it. How did you all feel about, because obviously art is something that's tangible. You look at it, you see it in screenshots, you can recall it, but the sound design and music is something that you experience in the moment. So it's obviously very different. But how did you all feel about the sound and the music in this game? You know, it's funny. I I have a lot of opinions on Assassin's Creed music up until this game. Um, I don't find the music particularly memorable from Assassin's Creed Origins. And um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what the reason for that is. I, I can I can maybe pull some melodies in my head. I can definitely pull the title screen, the theme. I can definitely think of that. Yeah. I can picture that in my head. But... Um, the moment to moment, it's kind of uh, reminiscent to me of, of Breath of the Wild, where I was spending so much time in these open areas. There was definitely music, but it was more kind of, uh, you know, in service to the environment as opposed to, like, you know, having, oh, that one track from when you get into high-paced combat. Like, it, I didn't feel that way about the music. Now, the sound design itself um, is, you know, very energetic, very, like, it's it's very, um, uh, to to overuse a video game phrase, like, Combat sounds are very visceral in like sometimes some gross ways, you know, where like that that soft thunk of landing a hit really nicely. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I don't, I didn't find the music exactly, you know, anything to write home about for the series, especially when I can like I could, I could talk for an hour about the Black Flag soundtrack. I don't, I don't feel as passionately about <laughs> this one. I am so pleased that you came forward with that um, admission, Brian, because I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, I mean, I can quite vividly recall some of Sarah Shachner's sort of music from Unity in particular, a game that I have mm. a lot of affection for in the same yeah. way Call does, but I'd, I have no memory of the, the music in Origins. Maybe that's because I played it in close proximity to Odyssey, which has like a lot of musical stings and, and kind of music that sort of repeats itself. So I wonder if my thoughts have been superimposed in that sense. I'm going to disagree with both of you on that. I think the score <laughs> is really good. Um, in particular, I mean, obviously it's on the sort of static uh, title screen in particular, but that yeah. theme, the main theme, if you will, from the game is, I think, incredible. I think it's really good. It's one of the best. I think um, Sarah Shackner's score has, she has this real good, really interesting knack of using. I mean, here's the thing. I'm listening to this. I can't discern what could be a real instrument as opposed to a synthetic instrument. So the stuff within her score that sounds like natural instruments, interwoven with this, there'll be a very clear kind of synth, very modern synth sound in there as well, which I love that kind of, the sort of how these two sort of musical styles are sort of, bashed together and, and i think it, it, it I, for me it's really distinctive and i yeah i i really like it. i mean i've got the soundtrack to this to this game and i i wouldn't say the inter- as as is the case with a lot of sort of soundtrack scores there's some of it that feels almost like incidental music where it's it's like that it's to be played out at a very specific scene but then there's stuff that is is very listenable like the main theme and and stuff where it's just I think it's epic. I love it. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. I think she's um I think she does a, a a really good job with this. So where I sit with the, the score is that I think that the splash title screen mm-hmm. is probably my favourite of all the Assassin's Creed games. Um maybe up there with Unity. Um but there's one track in the game and I cannot remember what it's called that I is genuinely 
an incredible piece of music that I absolutely adored. Um, and I can't remember the name of the track, but a real standout piece of music. But the score never overpowers everything else, so it never pulls your attention. It's subtle in how it belongs in that game, and I think that that is a great craft to be able to do that. But the actual sound design that goes with it, I absolutely adored. So when you're walking into markets or you're walking through cities or even at night and you hear the insects and you hear the water and, you know, the fire, it it really sells an authenticity to the environments around it. So the, the actual soundscapes that come with the game are, like, incredible. Um, just standing on the top of the building and watching the the world happen with the, the sounds of the world taking part absolutely adored it so for me the the actual sound design is right up there and there's two great tracks on the score it's not my favorite of all the assassin's creed scores that is definitely unity um yeah. but overall i thought they did a great job with the sound that I seems it, like a good time to, well, to sort yeah. of just drop a plug in for Sound of Player 240, <laughs> where we'll be going a lot more into detail about the whole yeah, and of that, Assassin's Creed. Precisely, and that's where I'm going to I'm gonna prove to you that this score is <laughs> is really good. Because now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramp up the um, Origins tracks on that, just, just to make a point now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's the Assassin's Creed Origins soundtrack. That's all Sound of Player 240 is. Um, <laughs> No, so uh, definitely tune in because uh, Assassin's Creed, and I've chosen quite a few Assassin's Creed tracks in the past on Sound of Play, so definitely that'll be a great one to listen to. With that covered, one thing that is missing from Assassin's Creed Origins that we have seen in the past is a form of multiplayer. So we have had, obviously, versus multiplayer, and we've also had the uh, co-op multiplayer that happened in Assassin's Creed Unity. But now there was nothing in Assassin's Creed Origins. Did, did any of you how did, how, did any of you play any much of the multiplayer in either Black Flag or um or was it 3 to 3 of multiplayer I can't remember. Definitely yeah, Black Flag. Yeah, so it started off in Brotherhood oh, and yeah. it has uh, Brotherhood. sorry Revelations and Brotherhood uh, yeah and then in 3 and then in Black Flag and Brian I played hundreds of hours oh, of this wow. thing not just me but yeah, my wife same. played hundreds of hours of this this oh, no game good. as well Anna. It was such a shame when it went because it was my go-to uh, multiplayer for the best part of about two or three years. Oh, wow. I um, was going to say something relatively dismissive about it. I'm glad I didn't um, because mm, I, I didn't, will. I didn't, <laughs> I, didn't engage, I didn't engage with it much um, in previous entries. And a lot of that reason was, and this is, like I said, I was going to say something dismissive, but I don't necessarily believe I'm right because this is before nah. I started thinking about games a little bit more. I have a little bit more of an adult viewpoint on it now, but... I felt like when Assassin's Creed started introducing multiplayer is when ever when I felt in my heart that every game just felt the need to, you know, kind of tag on a multiplayer option to their games. Maybe. And, yeah. And I didn't engage with it in that level. And I, kn- I know a couple people who friends of mine who swear by the Assassin's Creed multiplayer. And I just mm, yeah. for some reason it was me kind of being my like smarmy man. I'm not going to do it like it wasn't there wasn't a good reason for it. You know what I mean? So I, that's why I was curious. I'm glad to hear that, though, because um because yeah. I, I know a lot of people were disappointed that it went away. I've never missed it because I never never invested in it to me. For me, Assassin's Creed games have always been single player games. I felt the same with the multiplayer. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about it in a positive light. So I don't want to say that it, it you know, I, I'm not going to dismiss how good it was. Um, but for me, it was never a consideration. And I feel that I'm kind of glad that they've done away with it. 
I think if they're going to go multiplayer, make it a completely separate thing. Don't don't increase the budget costs mm-hmm. of a game and the server costs and all the rest of all the stuff that is addition to to making multiplayer content for a video game. And and just focus and do what you've been doing because what they've been doing recent in the last couple at least in the last couple of games has been exemplary. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know if that's if this is what I'm getting for sacrificing multiplayer fine sacrifice it or you know sacrifice away because i am i i don't miss that i never invested time mm. in it and i feel it sounds what, like um sounds like ubisoft kind of reciprocate your thoughts there i mean see mm-hmm. skull and bones which is um, yeah quite clearly something that's um reminiscent of the naval combat well i feel that maybe you know that's probably the that's probably the best approach to take Make a completely independent multiplayer version of something. Uh, you know, take the mechanics that you've clearly put some effort into, and, and so on. But I, you know, they all they all have had a reason to dismiss it, or maybe it was just player numbers. But mm. who knows? It's yeah, it's a tough conversation mm. because I mean, I, I'm well aware that my affection towards the the old style of multiplayer was just a, a matter of taste, I suppose, yeah. and um. I, I think it would be a big ask to in, include it into the, the current uh, as-is of Assassin's Creed because it's so mm. embedded in the mechanics of the actual old-style Assassin's Creed. I have to say, in many ways, like I'm pleased that it exists as a single-player experience because it's one of those games whereby I've already put hundreds of hours into it. If it had a multiplayer cooperative component in particular, you can pretty much write off any other game for maybe six or seven months because I can't see myself playing anything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to sort of echo, I, I do understand what Jay's saying, and I am a huge fan of what we had in multiplayer. There's kind of three multiplayers that weren't mainstream multiplayer games that I've loved throughout history. One was Driver San Francisco, one was Crisis 2, and the other was Assassin's Creed multiplayer. Oh, um, I love the most tense, love the Crisis Two tense experience. Sorry, oh, it was sorry, so I, can, good. I haven't thought about that in literal <laughs> years. Sorry, I, we can edit that out. Man, the Crisis Two multiplayer was unbelievable. Okay, I'll shut up. Assassin's Creed had for me the most tense multiplayer experience of my life. Every single game, um, I was on the edge of my seat playing it, and I absolutely loved that. I didn't like the shift to the co-op campaign or the mm. co-op multiplayer elements for Unity. Um, so I wasn't sad to see those goes see those go, but to see it all go is sad. But on the flip side, look at the single player that they've delivered as a result. Um, it, it's so I kind I kind of yeah. see both sides of the argument. On one hand, I've lost something I loved. On the other hand, I've got what is quite honestly just a standout single player franchise, not just in terms of Assassin's Creed, but like of any open world game. So I, I can't complain too much. <laughs> well, I mean, if the rumor mills are to be believed, there might be a multiplayer component in the forthcoming one, but who knows? Yeah. You know, for, for better or for worse, probably better if we don't get it. I need to focus on my children and my life. perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> And more Monster Hunter. That's it, yeah. So with Assassin's Creed Origins, we did get some DLC. Um, we had some story-based ones, the Curse of the Pharaohs and the Hidden Ones. Um. What we also got was a discovery tour, um, which was very unexpected, at least for me. Um, I have spent a good hour in it, but I have not completed it. Um, so I might not be the best person to talk about it, but I do know that you know a couple of people on here have definitely really enjoyed it. So what are your thoughts on the discovery tour specifically? 
listen, I have wanted this in an Assassin's Creed game from day one, like from the very first game. I mean, if you go back and listen to our, back in 2011, we recorded a podcast where we covered the first three games, or maybe it was four. No, it was three because uh, it was Revelation, first three, yeah. yeah. And there's reference to this sort of stuff where we were talking about how much I've learnt playing these games in in the sense of historical interest, you know, um, you know, learning about Jerusalem and stuff. And those earlier games would often have a kind of um, within the menus, there'd be a thing that on occasion would be voiced. And you would have a description of the character or the building or something. But with this, they went next level with this stuff. Like, it is a full-on historical tour. Um, with, the, with Origins, you have, you, you're given like a, a path and you follow this path. And it will be about something very specific. Um, and it covers everything from farming to um, daily life. Uh, burial rites within sort of ancient Egypt and all this stuff. And it's it's all done with the help of like experts from the British Museum and various other sort of historical educational sort of museums and stuff like that. Where, and the work that's gone into this is incredible. But I feel that this, this to me has, has is like, this is core now to what I, I, I enjoy from yeah. these games. It is, it is something that I feel, you know, it's gone from a game where you're going around murdering people to something that has actual educational value now. Yeah. Like, genuinely, it's like, I mean, I think they've done a thing where they've, you know, you could take this as a core, as an independent um, asset and give it to schools. It's that good. Like, it's, it's, ah, uh, and I, I honestly hope this comes in every game from this point going forward. Not, not only that, it would be great if they just back-pushed it into some of the previous content as well. I, I mean, wish. I'd love to do yeah. that. I would love one for Unity and, and well, just everything, really. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's just nice to know they I'd didn't... Happily, I'd happily buy that product. It, it's nice to know they didn't, like, phone that part in. You know what I mean? Like, no. hearing you talk about it, no. I've engaged with it on a very minimum scale, but it's it's that's really that's really great to hear that it's something that is completely worth engaging, and, and, and that's something yeah. I, I'd like to revisit, for sure. And and um, something that they omitted from Odyssey at the beginning and brought in probably because of some of the effusive praise. Well, also came. I think so. Uh, just touching upon that one, the the one in Odyssey is takes it to an even bigger level. Yeah. And so I feel that that was something that maybe couldn't hit launch, and so it was. It, I mean, the attention and care that's gone into it, it it just feels like clearly it was a hit from Origins and just taken to an altogether different yeah. experience with odyssey but honestly i i and i don't i know they get i don't think they get enough commendation for this this stuff in games yeah. i don't think there's enough of this kind of stuff in in video games generally especially in sort of big budget triple a space oh 100% um so like this to me, it made my day when I realized they've got this stuff in. When I actually experienced it, I thought, this is what I've been waiting for. This is exactly the I, I, honestly, the only thing that's a missing VR. Put it in VR next because it's like <laughs> I want to be in that world now, really. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyone else? I'll save it for the wrap up. <laughs> okay, right. so with that, we've got our three word reviews. Um, as always, you can leave a three-word review for the recording uh, on Twitter uh, at Kane and Rince. Uh, we got 
quite handily four different three-word reviews for this podcast and four of us on here. So, Brian, would you like to start? Sure. Uh, Alex Gaillard says, better without sci-fi. Jordan Bryan, Bayek, explores Egypt. Toon Scatoon said, see one power couple. And John Cheatham says, remember to stargaze. Excellent. Thank you very much for those. So before we wrap up, there's some thoughts from uh, correspondents that were written on our forum. Uh, Rich, would you like to read Gingertastic's O1's post? Yeah, so Gingertastic O1 says, The Assassin's Creed series, like any other long-running franchise, you inevitably get fatigue. But what has impressed me over the years is that just when you think, am I done with this series? They introduce a new mechanic, change up the location, or have a slightly different slant on the series structure that makes you reluctantly come back for one more adventure. As a result, I was pleasantly surprised coming into Origins as this is the largest shift the series has undergone since its inception. And for the most part, it's successful. Leveling up characters, hit points, damage, displaying on screen, enemy health bars, enhancing your weapons, emphasis on looting. What is going on? Is this even the same series? You could look at the world structure and take a slightly cynical view and say, hmm, it's very similar to other Ubisoft games such as Ghost Recon and Far Cry, but I feel all the new systems are perfectly balanced within this new approach to the world design. I played this for nearly 150 hours and the gameplay loop never really got old for me. Clearing out massive camps without being spotted was very satisfying. Although combat has been greatly improved, it's still perhaps the weakest part of the game, but it's more challenging and engaging than what has gone before. Some of those finishing moves are highly entertaining. But the real star of the game is of course the location. The attention to detail and how well it's been realised is just breathtaking. It is honestly one of the best looking games I've ever played and the DLC is just ridiculous. I have never used a photo mode as often as I did here. Additionally, this discovery tour was informative and well implemented. Lastly, I just need to say that the story was actually pretty good and found myself invested in all the characters. I was genuinely surprised and moved at some of the twists and turns it takes. Overall, I love this game and I feel it's perhaps my favourite in the series. Highly recommended. Here, here. <laughs> and from Toon Skatoon on the forum said, Assassin's Creed Origins is the first open world Ubisoft game I've ever played. Previously, I'd pushed these games into the same meat locker franchises like Gears of War, Mortal Kombat and Grand Theft Auto and labelled them too bloodthirsty for me. However, when I saw Kane and Rince include this game in Volume 9, I reconsidered, especially in light of J. Taylor's praise of the series' last two entries during the Patreon-exclusive episodes, well worth the money, and the fact that it had Discovery Mode, which made the $10 the game cost me at a local used game store seem like a bargain even if all the throat slashing put me off the campaign. I did slash a lot of throats, but I also learned a lot about the Nile Delta. I owned one camel, loved one woman, and sometimes I was that woman who seemed to have once loved that man back. Oh, and I was also one woman in the future, or present, who was both that man and that woman (laughs) that man loved. Sometimes I was a hawk. I was often confused by the larger story. I had a drunken brawl with an old friend, still jealous about being bested for the love of that one woman. I rescued two enormous white crocodiles. I killed far more crocodiles, hippos, lions, leopards and hyenas than I expected. I took corny photos in front of the pyramids. I explored and looted all tombs. I chose to wear only the lioness-headed Sekhmet costume once I got it. I helped overthrow Ptolemy and I helped murder Julius Caesar and I avenged my son's death, though I took little pleasure in finally doing so. I wished I'd spent more time counting the stars with that boy. I was the Flea of Cyrene, a hero to street children for my prowess, as something between a circus performer and an Acapulco cliff diver. I was consumed by the game's ability to make me feel engulfed by the sounds and textures of the world the way the desert might swallow a city. 
I had one hell of a good time. Fantastic, thanks for that. So, with that, our own summaries to the game. First, Brian. So, I feel that um, there will be criticism on this episode for us all gushing about this game. Um, and I think that the people that uh, have that criticism um, should should only think that it's amazing that the 10th entry in a video game series could create this much fervent fandom from people who had played all of those games. At, at this point uh, in Assassin's Creed history, it, it would have been very easy for them to do what felt regular, what felt common, what felt uh, commonplace in their own series, but they didn't. Ubisoft has this knack for taking games over the course of time, and just when you think they're getting to a point where you don't want, that you're kind of done with them, they do something, they change something, they twist it, and they, and they get you coming back for more. I think Assassin's Creed Origins was exactly what the franchise needed at the time. I think that it revitalized the series in such a way that made me wholly invested moving forward, made me a day one purchase for at least the next two or three games in the, in the series. Origins remains my favorite story in Assassin's Creed game, and I think that the tale of Bayek and Aya and, and the tale of Egypt, the, the way that you interact with that area is just something that you don't get out of a lot of open world games. A lot of open world games try to accomplish what Assassin's Creed Origins did accomplish in my mind. There are valid criticisms of the game. The game's huge. I know that doesn't uh, uh, suit many people's lifestyles. I know that um, you know some people might just see it as another open world game, which at its core it sort of is, but it just does... All of the it take it learns so many lessons from the games that came before it and implements changes in such smart ways that on top of looking great, feeling great, just re-energized my entire fandom of the series and makes me just now five years ago if they if you told me they were announcing a new Assassin's Creed game the next day three I would say of course they are now in 2020 when they say they're announcing a new Assassin's Creed game at the next day three I'm excited to see where it's going. So, yeah, I, Origins is an absolute A-plus, much play of the generation for me. Fantastic. Excellent. Jay, how about yourself? I mean, one of our earlier correspondents mentions about how this is a game that made him feel like a kid again. Um, to me, I feel very similar to that. I, it, generally, with video games, one of the things that I, I, I like, love about video games is this sense of living adventures that you just can't do in real life you know you, be it fighting zombies in a post-apocalyptic world being just all that kind of stuff this is to me what i i just love it being able to explore ancient egypt with the levels of detail and, and work and craftsmanship that's gone into this game it just sucks me in and i'm i'm invested as soon as i start to explore and I, I get totally in that moment where it's like, I'm there, I'm living this, this you know, I'm just I'm in the moment with this stuff. I just can't get enough of it. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to say it ain't, it ain't good. <laughs> Don't bother wasting your time. <laughs> How could it? You know, it ain't going to happen. I think the, the direction which Ubisoft have taken with this series now has reinvigorated me on a way that I genuinely, I mean... <laughs> If you, if you think this is bad, wait till we get to the Origins show because that's next level <laughs> stuff there. I'm going to go next level hyperbolic on this because it's like, it's crazy. I I mean, it is what, like Brian said, it's like what, the 10th game in the series and hats off to them, man, because, you know, I know some, there's quite a lot, there's usually quite a lot of um, resistance towards change, but I'm, I'm fully embracing it with this series at this point. Like they, yeah. they, they just hit all the right notes for me. 
as a player of, of their games. This is a strange one because I'm incredibly positive about Assassin's Creed Origins. I think that if you have any investment in a third wor- a third person action adventure game, then you should be giving this a go, even if you've long since gone from Assassin's Creed or that the franchise has never interested you because this is such a radical step in 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 hindsight is the right direction for the franchise even as a fan of those games if you had any interest in playing the assassin's creed before they are more difficult to play post origins um because the structure just feels so much more restricted and uh, one of the things that i had when i was playing a game like red dead redemption 2 was that i started to treat that game as an experience more so than a game when i was playing it and one of the things that puts people off those games is that they take so long, and Assassin's Creed Origins is not a short game. However, if you go in and spend 10 minutes or you go in and spend three hours, you can still get a sense of magic from the experience in the exploration of just the wonderment and the craft that's gone into it. So if you play this game in 10 to 20 minute sessions over an extended period of time, great, you know what? I still think you're going to really enjoy it. Don't be put off by the fact that this is a huge game with a large lead time um, and, and a completion where pretty much I think all of us were around the 100-hour mark because that's not it's not something that should be used to beat this game because there's not an element of this in that time that is dialed in. There's a sense of passion and craft and love and care that's gone into every aspect, whether you're in a primary mainline mission or in a secondary mission, in a tertiary location, or you happen across a cave somewhere or you go underwater diving and you're looking for treasures, um, every single one of those has some form of love and attention to detail that really does seem to separate it from not just any other Assassin's Creed game, but most games in this kind of this this genre, this third-person action-adventure, because it is right up there with anything, in my opinion, in terms of enjoyment. And like I absolutely loved my, my time with this game. I think... If I had one annoyance, it's those stupid boats that keep getting in your way when you're trying to swim out to a trireme to go and take it over, and you keep going around it only for them to pull it back in front of you. Um, and I mean, it is a very small list of negatives that I have against this, and I was dubious because I was a huge fan of Assassin's Creed 3. I didn't think they'd ever beat that. I was a huge fan of Assassin's Creed Unity. Yeah, I know the two games that seem to come in for stick. Um Assassin's Creed Origins is right up there and probably my favourite of the lot. I absolutely adored my time with this game. Um, I'm fortunate because of the panel. I'm the one who hasn't played Odyssey yet, so I get to experience that before the recording later in this year. But for me, I absolutely love my time with Origins. And finally, Rich, how about yourself? So I love Assassin's Creed, but not necessarily for the games itself. I think it's just something that it seems to trigger inside my mind. And playing through Assassin's Creed Origins sort of really um, reminded me of this point in my life. Uh, I want to say it was the mid-90s and we're in school and we used to have these old beige CRT monitors and terrible PCs. (laughs) And there was this really interesting piece of software called Castle Explorer. And looking back on it, it was junk. It was basically just really digitized actors sort of given an indication about what life was like in medieval England at the time and some 2D um, scenes that you could interact with and pull things apart. And it always really captured my imagination about exactly what it would be like to, to be in that particular situation. And I think 
until Assassin's Creed Origins came about, I'd never been able to quite capture that thing that was always very vivid in in my uh, thoughts and my mind, just living in this one world in this really fully realized, fully fleshed out environment. And that's pretty much something that I think is there, if only because when you're talking about AC Origins and, and you're looking at some of the documentaries, for example, the um, historical researchers are given just as much important as the game director, the art director, the composer and such like that. It's so pivotal to how they go about creating it. And it's something that triggers very uh, prominently in my mind. I'm the kind of person who likes to have games that engulf my thoughts. I've constantly got a, a, a page with Wikipedia open so I can just look at new things. I look on Netflix to find documentaries that are going to augment that situation. And, and, and Assassin's Creed origins in particular is just one of those things because it's just so um so rich and it's um the way that it's built it's it's just rife for, for taking advantage of that i think i can recognize that it's it's massive and it's obviously not for everybody but what i will say is whatever is there is just absolute quality um i love what it built i love what it reimagined i love what it set up and i adore where it went with assassin's creed odyssey which i'm i'm not on that show at this point in time and I think what I want to say is just based around what we're hearing in the future, I'm really looking forward to where this uh, where this game and where this world and, and, and such is going to go. Fantastic. Excellent. So with that, it's just left for me to thank Brian, Jane, Rich. And next time in issue 405, break out the bongos because we're going to have ourselves a time in the Donkey Konga trilogy. <laughs>